preparing our hearts uh, for the word today. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Genesis chapter 1. And I hate to disturb you all, you look so comfortable. Or at least some of you do. <laughs> at least some of you do. Uh, if you did not get the memo about the uh, bringing your lawn chairs, I apologize for that. We were not sure where we were going to be on pews and chairs and all of that. But uh, what you should have done, if you didn't bring a lawn chair while everyone was standing, you should have just went and grabbed somebody. So that, that's on you if you didn't do that. But you'll be so happy for those of you in metal chairs. I, I struck a, a page of notes for you today. So we're down to two pages of notes, and that's all. Genesis chapter 1, we're in a series exploring the foundations of our faith in the early chapters of the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis we began by seeing that God purposefully and powerfully created everything that is. Everything that has been created was created by God, for God. He did it by his own power, by his wisdom, and because of his will. And then last week we looked at and saw uh, that here on the earth, God formed the various things and the different uh, kinds of realities, the sky and the water and the dry land and all of those things, and then all of the creatures that exist therein and here on. You know, last week, one of the key things we determined was that all of you all are creatures, right? You remember that? You are creatures, and I am a creature. Humans are creatures created by God, but you'll be glad to know there's more to the story. You're not merely creatures, though humans are creatures, just not merely so. In other words, we are not the same as cows and crows and caterpillars. There is a special designation for humans in God's created realm. Something special, something different, and that is what we will explore as we finish up in Genesis chapter 1 today. And we're going to read verses 24 through 31. So let's read that together and see what the Word of God tells us about who we are as human creatures. Then God said, let the earth produce living creatures according to their kind, Livestock and crawling things and animals on the earth according to their kind, and it was so. God made the animals of the earth according to their kind, and the livestock according to their kind, and everything that crawls on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every crawling thing that crawls on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the earth of all the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. And to every animal of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning. The sixth day. We begin examining really the key thrust of this passage. 
And that is that man is specially created in the image and likeness of God. And I want us to begin by trying to explore and ferret out a little bit of what that means for man to be created in the image and likeness of God. Now first, let's remember who is included in this designation of man. Now I'm maintaining the biblical uh, vocabulary here, speaking of humankind as man, but you should note that in verse 27 it says that man or humans created in the image of God certainly includes both male and female. The Bible is not sexist. The, the designation of man is meant to encompass humankind, both male and female, at least in this passage. So it includes both male and female. Also of note, before we get into what it means to be created in the image and likeness of God, there is something peculiar and something that people look at and you might scratch your head and wonder is the plural vocabulary here. God is creating and he says, let us make man in our image. So there is plural. And we think about, well, it's just God, right? It's just God. God is the one that's creating. Who is this our and this us that is included in the plural? And of course, we as Christians, now Jewish people would not do this. Jewish um, uh, religious folks. But we as Christians would say, well, that's a Trinitarian formulation, right? That, that's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We already saw that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters in the early verses of Genesis chapter 1. So that's where our minds would jump, first and foremost. Then there are those that say, well, it's God, and he's talking to the angels. Or what is called the divine council. That is those upper level, if you will, heavenly hosts, angelic beings who God has appointed specially in this divine council. Now, I don't want to get into all that. We did uh, several months of Wednesday nights on the divine council uh, study a couple of, of uh, maybe a year ago or so. But some would say it's God talking to the angels. Is there any credence to that, any credibility to that interpretation? Well, Psalm 8 says, What is man, O God, that you have made him, that you care for us, and you've made him a little what? Lower than the angels. So there is some biblical credence to the idea that angels in some way, some fashion, also created in the image of God, and man is in that same pattern. So some go there. Some would say, well, that is the plural of majesty. In other words, when a great king speaks, he speaks as us. Now, some of y'all do that when you're working by yourself, don't you? What are we going to do here? And nobody's there. It's just you, right? What should we do out here? I, I walk up on some of my family sometimes, and they're working, and they're talking to themselves, and they use this plural of majesty. <laughs> this idea that, that they're talking really only to themselves, but they say we and us. Some would go there. I would just say to you, there is not widespread agreement about this. I'm happy to say that I think that the reality what we understand in the full revelation of God's word is that God is triune. Father, Son, Holy Spirit has always been, eternally so. I think this part of creation probably came after the creation of the angels or the heavenly hosts and all of that. So I'm happy to think it is the triune God and, and maybe the angels were there looking on. Don't know. There is just disagreement. But I think it is a Trinitarian formulation. One of the problems people have with that is they say, yeah, but Moses is the author of Genesis. And he wouldn't have had that in mind when he wrote this. Well, you know what? Regardless of what Moses had in mind, 
the scriptures are divinely inspired. And I know that there are things that are written in the Bible that the writers of scripture who were divinely inspired wrote things even that they did not fully comprehend or understand. So personally, I tend to go with the let us make man in our image. Especially the fact that there is this now male and female, this difference among mankind. I think it is pointing to the Trinity. All right, but what does it mean to be created in the image and likeness of God? This is, this is a massive thing if we think about who we are as human beings. And there are various understandings of that as well. It should not surprise you. Christians don't agree on much of nothing. Look at y'all all sitting in different chairs, got different places. We just don't agree on anything, right? We're trying to interpret the scriptures and understand these things. Let me run you through some various understandings that are kind of the main streams of thought as people are grappling with what it means to be created in the image of God and the likeness of the triune God. This is often called the imago dei, the image of the divine, the image of God. What does it mean? Well, some would say, well, it speaks to a unique and special family resemblance. A unique and special family resemblance. It's interesting that the creatures that God creates before humankind he speaks and he says, let them be according to their kind. Let them be according to its kind. And yet when it comes to the creation of humanity, God says, let us make man in our image, in our kind, is almost the thrust there. So there is a contrast. It's something different than all of the rest of creation or the created uh, the creatures. So there is that idea. Now, if you turn over to Genesis chapter 5, I believe it's in verse 3, when Adam and Eve have their son Seth, it uses this exact same language of image and likeness. Seth came about in the image and likeness of Adam. Exactly the same language here. And so we would think, well, there's a, there's a resemblance there, a family resemblance. So that's where some people get that idea. And they would say, you know, we as human beings... Now, God is spirit, right? And until Jesus came in the incarnation and took on human form, I think it's difficult for us to say that we physically resemble God, but there is a family resemblance, and a lot of people focus on the different capacities that humans have that are different than the rest of the animals. For instance, morality, intellectual thought and abilities, creativity, Reasoning skills, rationality, self-awareness, an awareness of past, present, and future in a way that it seems that none of the other creatures really operate. You know, this, uh, this weekend was the Fairways to Heaven uh, event. I told these guys, I've got to get some kind of illustration out of this deal. And this is a great one. Man, that was a great event. And Kyle did a great job putting it on. And I'll tell you, a lot of work went into that. And this is the first year that I had uh, been and I, I know that several years ago, I told y'all, Jerry's got, uh, got me on record of different things I say in sermons, right? And I said something about golf being the most boring sport to watch, not to play. Well, I'll tell you, my job was to go and watch golf and drive waters around to everybody and drinks. I, man, I had a big, big time. It was so much fun. And I was thinking about this idea of humans and all of these capacities and things that we do and create and formulate and organize. And I think all of these things in a lot of ways resemble what God is like. 
putting together that event. I mean, it is crazy the amount of stuff. I mean, there was goodie bags and there was organization and there were teams and they were talking about strings and putting and I, I'm, I don't know much about golf and it was a total education for me. Not only that, they've got these little buggies that zoom around on the golf courses, you know, that, that people have come up with and engineered. Some were electric powered, some were gas powered. Those things are super cool and it was just fun and, and you go, man, look, and these guys have got all of these big clubs and little clubs and all of these things. It's a, it's a science. And then the, the, the greens, you know, they're tipping this way and there's bent grass over here and there's zoysia over there and there's the roughs and the putting greens and all of this stuff. And I'm like, man, who knew the complexity? Who knew that men would go to such lengths to get away from their wives for a weekend? Now, I didn't come up with that in the clubhouse at one of the golf courses. Let me see. I wrote this down. I keep notes too, Jerry. I wrote this down, and I, I, where is that in my notes? Well, maybe I didn't write it down. It was something on the, in the clubhouse, and I think the clubhouse was named uh, Escape from Your Wives Club. Did y'all see that? Did anybody else see that? really was a piece of paper on the clubhouse, and I texted my wife, and I said, uh, you know, because there was a bunch of work I was skipping at home. I said, I hope you know that I am not doing this to get away from you, honey. I'm doing ministry out here. <laughs> I'm doing ministry. And I just thought about, you know, the great links and the things that people devise. I mean, it is a testament in some measure to the creativity and the intellect of God himself. So some people go that route. Some people see the image and likeness of God as having a capacity to relate to God and actually have a relationship with God Almighty. In fact, we know that when God created uh, Adam and Eve, he puts them in this garden and he walks with them. So we have this spiritual capacity to relate to God. Some go that way. We can worship and talk to God and he speaks to us by his spirit, by his word and so on. Some would go the route of to be... In the Imago Dei is to be God's representative. Now think about this, just the language of the image and likeness of God. What does an image do? It represents. It's not perfect. It's not a perfect representation. It's not the thing. But to be a likeness or image is to be a representative. And so when we see this thing that looks like the thing, we think about it. Some people go that route that we are to be God's image bearer, his divine representative on the earth. Some people take that a little bit further and say, well, the image and likeness of God specifically is about this creation mandate where man and woman are to have dominion and stewardship over the earth. Did y'all notice that where um, uh, the humans are going to rule over the fish and the birds and the creepy crawlies and the cattle and all of those things. Humans are going to rule over this thing that God has created as his representative. And so some people say, well, it represents the rule of humans on the earth on God's behalf. Here is one you probably won't read anywhere. And it's the last one that I've got for you is that it's very possible that the image and likeness of God is speaking to our righteousness and our purity because God is holy. He is pure. He is perfect. And I take this from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24, which we'll look at here in a minute. But I think that when we consider that Adam and Eve were created as perfect and pure and holy, it's possible that it speaks to that. I, 
right? Because that is what God is like. Ultimately, here's the thing. Which one of these are true? Which is the right interpretation? We're really a um, either-or kind of people, aren't we? It's either that one or it's that one or it's that one. Pick one. But maybe it's both and. Maybe what it's saying is all of these things encompass this great reality of what it means to be created in the image of God. So to me, the divine image and likeness expresses this reality that humans are specially, specifically created, different than the other creatures, with God-given capacities, responsibilities, and things to do that reflect the glory of God. And we exercise dominion on behalf of God as his image bearers. That's some of what it means to be created in the image and likeness of God. But here's the problem, folks. Here is the problem. If you know what happens in Genesis chapter 3, the fall, when Adam and Eve sin, they fall to temptation, they rebel against God, and things get really messed up. And brokenness comes in. Even if you don't know the story, maybe you just watch the news, you read the news, or maybe you look in your own heart and you realize that things have gone terribly wrong. And if bearing the divine image and likeness means that we are relating to God, we are right with Him, we are His people, we're reflecting His goodness, His righteousness, His truth perfectly, then we know we're not there. Adam and Eve sinned, and became corrupted by sin. And that has been passed on to every progeny or offspring since. Every one of us are creatures created in the divine image, but fallen and broken. That leads us to the second point, that we need to consider man's fall and what that has done to the image of God in us. This is no small thing. This, these are the things that, that uh, you know, as you start to explore the Bible and really think about who you are and why you are the way you are and why humanity is the way it is, the Bible speaks to that. And I want to explore with you just a couple of other passages in the Bible, how we move on from Genesis 1 and see what the Bible says about the image and the likeness of God throughout the Bible. We won't cover every place. There are many. We're going to cover some key ones. But here's a key question. Is the image of God still intact in human beings? Is the image of God still intact in humanity? That becomes the question. What say you? We're good Baptists. Let's vote. How many say the image of God is still intact in human beings? Now listen, don't see how your friend votes. You vote the way you want to vote. How many of you say, nope, it's not there anymore? Divine image, gone. There are people that would say both. Here's a great passage for you that speaks to it. Genesis 9, 6, after the flood. After the flood, they come off the boat. God institutes capital punishment for murder. That's what he tells them. Whoever murders, whoever sheds human blood by man, his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, he made mankind. In other words, God says, anybody that kills someone is subject to being killed as a punishment because the people are created in the image of God. So obviously, there is still some level at which the image of God is still operative in human beings. Fast forward to the New Testament, another great passage, James 3, verses 8 and 9. 
says this, No one among mankind can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who have been made in the likeness of God. James picks up that same language, that humans are created in the likeness of God and the way we relate to people. We should seek to relate to people with it in mind that they are created in the image of God and bear his likeness. That's what we're to do. But here's the thing. That likeness is marred. It is distorted. It's messed up. Part of the reason we know that, and I'm not going to go into a bunch of passages on it, but James that passage is enough to tell us this is the way we're supposed to be in the image of God. Unfortunately, we're not. We do not reflect the holiness of God the way that we should among our brothers and sisters. Some see the divine image is totally absent from humanity. The Bible speaks otherwise. It's still there. It's just really messed up. It's distorted and it's marred. It's damaged. This time of year, you know, how many of y'all have been out to the fairs or going to the carnivals? One of the, my favorite things as a kid I used to want to do is go into the house of mirrors. Right? Wasn't that, isn't that fun? I mean, you have this idea of what you're like. And then all of a sudden you go and here's a mirror. And, and, and believe it or not, I was a, a short, pudgy kid. And uh, I would walk by a mirror and find the one that made me tall and thin. I'd say, look at that guy. Yeah. And then you'd go by and all of a sudden your head would be like this tall. And your legs that short. And, and you would see your image and it was all kinds of messed up. Now you knew it was based on this reality of who you were. Anybody else like to do this? Y'all should do this. You should go and find your favorite you. Right? Find the new you. And you go through and you've got this image, but all of the different mirrors do different things and distort it and change it to make it not fit reality. That is what has happened to us as human beings because of sin. And we've inherited sin, we've inherited corruption, and we have willingly sinned. And what we do is we distort the image of God and the likeness of God. And people look at us in our sin, in our messed up state, and they see vestiges of God but they see them wrongly they see them in an exaggerated way some parts are smashed and some are pulled apart and look bigger maybe than they actually are that's what has happened to the divine image it's distorted in us it's messed up and it needs to be fixed you see the house of mirrors is fun it's fun because it only lasts for a few minutes and then we get back to reality but the distortion of the image of God in us is not so funny. In fact, it's deadly and it's destructive. And something has to be done about it. This leads us to our last point today. And here's what I would say to you as we think about how are we supposed to apply this teaching about the image and likeness of God. I would say this, that the New Testament pictures Christian salvation in a lot of different ways. But one of the key ways is that it is the restoration of the image and likeness of God in humanity. Salvation, listen to this folks, is God going in and changing and getting things back the way they are supposed to be, the way he intended them to be in the lives 
of individuals. It's good news. The good news is that God has not given up on us broken and distorted people. Instead, he comes in and he wants to restore and repair humanity, one person at a time, from the inside out. God has made a way. I'm going to give you three words, and we'll talk about these very briefly, give you one scripture that speaks to each of these. And what these are, they are ways in which salvation speaks to the restoration of the image of God in the person who is saved or redeemed. All right? Recreated, renewed, and restored. That's your words. Recreated, renewed, and restored. First of all, let me say this. Adam and Eve are distorted images of God. You don't want to model your life after them. Your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, your favorite celebrity, your favorite reality show, some superstar, even your favorite most revered Christian or preacher or devotional writer or anything like that, they are not the perfect image of God. We need a better model, a new model. And God sent Jesus, his son, to show us what the divine image perfectly looks like in human flesh. Colossians 1.15, jot that reference down. Colossians 1.15, Christ is the image of the invisible God. Did you hear that? Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Jesus alone is the one who perfectly images forth the likeness of God. And folks, we need models. We need role models. We need people to look to that we can say, that's what it's supposed to look like. Jesus, and only Jesus, is the perfect image and likeness of God. And thank God we have the life of Jesus given to us in the word of God and the way of Jesus given to us. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says we're broken. That image is messed up and we need to be, here you go, recreated. God created male and female, the human race, in Genesis chapter 1. Perfect, and they perfectly were to, uh, and did for a while, image forth the likeness of God, but they messed up. And humanity is messed up. And so, we need a recreation. The Bible says, you must be born again. You need a brand new life. God wants to do something to restore you. Here's what he wants to do. He wants to start over and give you a brand new life life. It's regeneration. It's being born again as the gospel of John calls it. Colossians 3 verses 9 through 10 is another passage to write down. It describes this process or the beginning of our salvation where we lay aside the old life of Adam, of the first man and we Receive the life of the second Adam, who is Jesus Christ. Colossians 3, 9 through 10 says this. You have put off the old self with its practices 
and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. In other words, being born again is being recreated. And there has to come a moment in your life. Listen to this. We believe, the Bible teaches this, that a person is not just kind of easing along in his path or her path, doing the best they can, and they just gradually sort of go over into heaven. They just hope it all works out. The Bible speaks about salvation as there being a start, a point in time where a person gives their life to Christ. And part of that is repentance. It's laying off the old self. It's saying, man, I am on a hillbound road. I'm not there. I know that I am not reflecting God. There has to come a point in time where you, and I believe it's prompted by the Holy Spirit, but where you realize that you need to be born again. You need things to change. And that's a decisive thing. Now, do I think that can be a process where conviction comes over time? Absolutely. But I just would ask you the question, has there come a point in your life where you know that you were convicted of sin, you saw that Jesus wanted to give you brand new life, and you trusted in him by faith, and you became a new creation. It's the beginning of salvation, recreation. You must be born again. The next thing, once you're born again, there is a progressive renewal that happens. And in salvation, we would speak about it this way, as sanctification. It's becoming more like Christ. I would like to say every day, but we realize that maybe not every day we're on the right path. But sanctification is, listen to this, it's, it's, I've been born again, I've trusted Jesus, and I am progressively growing in Christ's likeness. I'm becoming more like Jesus over time. Ephesians 2 and verse 4, put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. There is this progressive renewal. Hey, let me ask you, Christian. You say, yep, I can answer the first question. I can say that in 2003, there was a moment in time when I was born again. I gave my life to Christ. Hallelujah. I believe you are safe and secure. You are saved. But are you being sanctified? Are you growing? Now listen to this. This is no small thing. Are you moving along to the place where God wants you to be that is imaging and bearing forth the likeness of Jesus Christ who is the perfect representative? That's one of the reasons Jesus says this. Go and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you because God wants your life to bear forth the image and the likeness of the perfect Son of God, Jesus Christ. Are you growing progressively, being renewed day by day by the renewal of the mind and submitting your will to the Spirit of God? That's an important part of salvation. Some people write that off as extra. Folks, that's part of salvation, the progressive renewal. That's why Paul writes it that way. He says, put off the old self, the old man, and put on the new. Every day be filled with the Spirit, continually, progressively growing in Christ-likeness. Hey, it doesn't matter how old you get, how long you've been doing this thing, there's room to grow in Jesus for every one of us. And God has a purpose in that. 
He wants you to shine forth the likeness of Christ. And the last step in this process, so we are born again, there is the recreation. There is this progressive renewal we call sanctification. Here's a great passage for you, 1 Corinthians 15, 49. This is the final and complete restoration. The final and complete restoration. 1 Corinthians 15, 49 says, Just as we have borne the image of the man of the dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. In other words, salvation is going to be culminated and completed. Hey, listen, folks. When Jesus comes again, the resurrection occurs, and you get a final, resurrected, glorified body. I don't know if you know this. Our bodies are broken. I believe that God created male and female, created humans to live forever. But sin came in and corrupted and introduced corruption and there was the curse and there was death and all of these things. You know what God is doing in Jesus? He's making all things new. He's restoring everything. Our souls and spirits, our minds, and ultimately, finally, our bodies. There's coming a day when we will receive an immortal glorious forever body that is in the likeness of the glorified and resurrected Jesus Christ I hadn't got mine yet and you haven't either but I tell you what does happen day by day as we grow old as we face infirmity and sickness and all kinds of things there are new pains and new creaks and new aches there are new fears there are new illnesses that come in we become aware of and there's just something in us that says this isn't the way it's supposed to be and you know what you're right you are right and God has done something about it he's going to make all things new you will receive if you are in Christ your final and complete restoration your glorified body and you will be with Jesus and be like Jesus if you are found in him. My, uh, my son and my father-in-law have got a, I think it's a 68 Mustang in the barn. And they pulled that thing and it's been up, not on blocks, you know, they're not quite that redneck. It's up on jack stands. And it's been there for quite some time. And, and you know, they're just progressively, I think it's mostly my son. I think he's doing most of the work, or at least he says so. You know, he's scrubbing and he's removing rust and putting in the new carpet. Now, father-in-law is the money, right? Right? He's the money. The boy is the brawn, and they're doing this, and, and they've got the barn all clogged up. And I'm going, when are you going to get this thing out of here? Right? Well, it's, it's, it's my barn. I said, well, that's true. <laughs> when are you going to get this restoration project complete? We don't know. But I do know there is hopes. And I am fairly confident that one of these days, a 68 Mustang, cherry red, is going to fire up, come off the stand, back out of that barn, and I bet you there's going to be gravel spraying for miles. I am confident of that. That there is coming a day when the restoration is complete. And that old former rust bucket is going to be made new. Folks, salvation is God restoring in us 
It's restoring us from the inside out, the soul, the spirit, the mind, the will, and finally and ultimately the body. That's what salvation is. It is the restoration of the image of God in us. Would you bow today as we close this message with just an invitation, a a plea to you to consider where are you Where are you in your relationship with God? Have you taken that first step, come out of the junkyard? Have you been found by Jesus Christ? He's come looking for you. He came for you and he came for me. And he died on a cross to pay the penalty of our sin so that we might have life. If you have never trusted in Jesus as your Savior, repented of your former life and received the recreated life and been born again would you do that today are you ready today to have that life if that's you today in your heart you do business with God and you say to him something like this God I know I'm a sinner I know that I've broken your law I am broken inside. And I want you to come in and make me new today. It's not that exact prayer that you have to pray, but it's just being honest, asking God to give you a brand new heart and life, a new lease on life, to give you eternal life. Maybe you've been a Christian for quite some time. You're stagnant. Maybe you just feel like you're, maybe you don't even know what's going on in your life. I would ask you this, are you day by day making progress on the restoration? Are you yielding to the Spirit? Are you going to His Word? Are you seeking to put off the old self day by day and put on the new? It's there. We have everything we need for life and godliness. That is what the Bible says. The resources have been paid for. We have a rich Heavenly Father who's given us everything we need, but we have to put it on. Maybe today you would say something like this to the Lord. Lord, I know I belong to you. Make me more like you. Give me the strength. Give me the courage. Give me the commitment to walk with you day by day by faith. And maybe, just maybe, there's someone here today It feels they're coming towards the end, the finish line of the journey. You've been walking with Jesus. You've been growing. You've been faithful. You know Jesus. You reflect Jesus more and more. But the prospects of things on the horizon has crept in as fear in your life. And you wonder, are you there, Lord? I don't know that I can face the things that lie ahead. And I would just encourage you with the promises of the Bible. That to leave this life and this earthly, flawed, physical body behind is going to be immediately to be in the presence of the Lord. And there is the promise of the final and complete restoration when all things, including our bodies, will be made new. Made new. He is faithful who began a good work in you. He will see it to the very end. You can rest assured in that.
Father, today help us wherever we are in the journey of having the image and the likeness of God reflected in us and through us. Help us to stay the course, to keep our eyes on Jesus, who is the perfect image of God, the firstborn over all creation and recreation, the author and perfecter, the finisher of our faith. So help us to walk out of this place today, Lord, by faith, renewed and restored in what you're doing. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.